You're listening to Words of Encouragement, the preaching ministry from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Winsboro, Louisiana. Good day to you. I'm Pastor Craig Beeman. And recently we heard from one of our one of our International Mission Board missionaries, Leah Brown from Peru. Actually, she serves in Peru, and we're going to hear from her today on Words of Encouragement. Some of you may not have known that I went on a missionary trip to Peru years ago. Uh, and so I'm excited about hearing uh, from Leah this morning. Uh, she's going to come now and share with us. I may seem like a stranger, like where did they find this girl? So hopefully I can fill in some of the blanks. But my name is Leah Brown and I've served with the IMB for 12 years. I'm actually from Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, born and raised there. Actually born and raised Catholic to begin with. Um, but my, my dad went back to his roots, uh, started going to First Baptist Church in Lafayette. Brother Perry Sanders, a wonderful man and wonderful preacher um, and pastor. And so I grew up under, under his leadership, came to Christ when I was 12 years old, um, had wonderful, wonderful discipleship. Just praise the Lord for that. And when I was about 17, I heard a, a group that had gone to Brazil on a summer missions trip came back, and they, do, they were just doing their report on how things went on their trip to Brazil. They had done some construction projects and also did something called music evangelism, which I don't know if any of you are familiar with or have heard of have heard of, but they actually went house to house and shared the gospel through music. And so they were giving that report on their time doing that. And the Lord just began to touch my heart. He had been using several other things along the way to kind of capture my attention about missions and about the, the need, the need of lost people all over the world and the lack of resources that they had available to them not financial resources, but resources in the sense of um, churches that were not there, pastors that were not there, and even just believers that were, were not there. Um, so much need around the world. And so the Lord just really began to, to capture my attention on that, and he used that, that particular summer missions, summer missions report to um, just seal the deal. And so um, I, I talked with Brother Perry during that time, and I was young, and so, and my parents were deathly afraid that I was going to skip the country and go to Africa. Um, but I assured them that I did plan on going to college, which I did. Um, I attended what was called USL at the time, and um, went to nursing school there, and just felt like not necessarily a passion for that in particular, but I had a passion to use whatever gifts God had given me to serve Him overseas. And so nursing, thankfully, um, kind of fell nicely into line with that. And so the problem was I had a little bit of struggle with some classes, and so I ended up transferring to McNeese and Lake Charles and got my degree there. Um, and then the next... Worked for several years, um, actually worked in the area of oncology, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a, in a minute. Um, worked there, and then the next natural step for me felt like seminary because I knew I wanted to uh, do missions overseas. And so the Lord led me to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and attended there as destiny or the Lord, the Lord really would have it, um, attended there beginning in 2005, and so experienced all that Katrina had to offer, and then uh, 
returned back to Lafayette for a while, but, uh, and then back to New Orleans. So all of that to say, the Lord does not waste a thing. If there's a time in your life where you're confused and fig- trying to figure out what in the world is he doing, he will use whatever you're going through. And so rest assured with that. And he did use that in my life that time. Um, so finally finished seminary in 2008. And so 12 years after the point that I felt like he was calling me to the mission field was when I actually went um, and so started. Went to the mission field in October of 2008 and uh, landed in Guatemala in a little town called Antigua and uh, spent several months there learning Spanish, plodding through, trying to learn as much as I could in that time. I had a little bit of a base to work with. I was grateful for that. Uh, went from there to, um, I was supposed to serve in Peru from the very beginning, but the Lord had something else in mind, and so ended up working in, uh, in Bolivia. And I was there for about three and a half years. And now if you're scratching your head and wondering where in the world is Bolivia, it is right next door to, to uh, Peru and South America. Most times when I would say, yes, I was in Bolivia, people would say, now, remind me what part of Africa that's in, because it's very, like, a lot of people haven't heard of it, unless uh, there's, a, there's a movie my dad always talks about, and now it's slipping my mind, but it's something related to Western, Westerners in Bolivia. I can't remember. Say it again. Thank you. Yes, Butch Cassidy. So, uh, so they came and got to have that little experience themselves. But yes, that was a beautiful time and uh, worked with uh, the Quechua people in Bolivia who are descendants of the Incans. And so if you hear about the Incan Empire, the Quechua are those descendants. And now that's been hundreds of years ago since the, the Incans were existence. So things have changed a little bit, but they still carry a lot of their language and culture uh, with them. And so did have the privilege of working there. Was there for almost four years, um, did my, my furlough time. And then when I went back, I served among a people group, several people groups in exact opposite of that in the jungle in Peru. And so um, had the opportunity to, to work with several what we call unreached people groups, which I'll talk a little bit more about as well. And there's a story I want to share related to that time, that particular time. My question for you is, when has the Christmas story, the story of the Son of God leaving his throne in heaven and coming down to enter the suffering world of men and women, when has that meant the most to you? And I just want to share a story of a time where that that particular fact meant so much to me. I'm probably going to read it because this is a story that just over the years has meant so much. And sometimes I can get a little emotional, so I'm just going to read it. (laughs) Okay, so this was actually a story that I ended up sharing later with um, the group that was praying for particular people groups. And again, this was a time that I was serving in the jungle in, in Peru. I put, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The frail man's leg was eaten up with cancer like nothing I'd ever seen, even in my years as an oncology nurse. A fellow believer had asked me and my teammate to accompany him to visit this man. His name was Miguel and his family and to help them in any way that we could. I felt very inadequate in my ability to be of any assistance, but I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me forward to make the visit. My teammate's name is Casey. My teammate and I listened as Miguel outlined the details of what had been a painful and uncertain 
path in his illness. Even he didn't know fully the severity of, the, of his cancer. Miguel squinted his green eyes. Not many people in South America have green eyes, but he did. Miguel squinted his green eyes as he wrapped up his story, and he and his wife looked at us expectantly as an awkward silence followed. Our friend who had invited us, the other believer, looked to me and Casey and asked if there's anything that we would like to share. So a hundred different thoughts were going through my head at the time. What story from God's word could help a man who had already suffered so much and likely had more suffering to come? Could we tell him a story of one of Jesus' numerous miracles? Surely God could choose to heal him if he wanted to, but would he? A single thread of scripture began to weave its way into my thoughts. The suffering of Jesus. The suffering servant we see and know from Isaiah 53. Verse 4 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And so I said to Miguel, We can see that you suffered intense pain, pain beyond what any of us can begin to imagine. We can't begin to understand what that's like. But we know someone who does, someone who suffered pain even to his death so that we wouldn't have to, one who suffered for all the wrongs that we committed and who can give us eternal life with him. Now, as we told Miguel more about Jesus, his face lowered and he cried. Miguel did not open his heart to Jesus that afternoon, but we'd visited him several times after that and he seemed more and more open. And my statement was, pray that Miguel will choose to follow the suffering servant and become a new creation in him. Now, I wrote that several years ago, um, and we learned several months after that that Miguel, the cancer had taken Miguel's life. We didn't know what his eternal destiny was. And that can be disheartening when you don't know for sure, when we didn't know what impact our words might have had. But this experience continues to shape how I, how I approach people in life and ministry and, and how I approach people who are suffering. Um, and I just wanted to share from that same scripture. Oftentimes during Christmas, we, we think of Jesus coming as a baby, right? And so we don't always put together little precious baby in suffering, but um, I would challenge us to to in our minds to put that story together because we know that that baby that came eventually was coming to suffer and to die for us. And not, not to stay in that suffering, but to do that in order that we might have eternal life with him. And so um, I'm just going to read from the first part of Isaiah 53 that says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has, bor he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. 
And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And it goes on. I want to share one other uh, scripture from Isaiah 9. And many of you are very familiar with this or parts of this passage. In fact, I think one of the first songs that, um, that the beautiful duet sang has part of this scripture. Isaiah 9, uh, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great, a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then it jumps down. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So again, my challenge for all of us is to see the baby Jesus, you know, rejoice in that, but also consider how he entered this world to be able to enter into our suffering, into our pain, and to meet us in that. So just asking yourself, how does this impact you today? And the suffering that so many of us have experienced this past year in 2020, you know, even if the virus hasn't touched you or your family, likely there's been something that, that's hit you this year. And so what I want to do is jump. If I'm not sure if we ever got those slides to work. Oh, great. Okay, so this is actually um, the team that I've worked with over these past three years. I've actually been working in Lima, Peru, which is the capital city of Lima. It's a city of about 10 million people. It is a large city, uh, very different. Even, you know, going from somewhere like Lafayette or New Orleans to Lima is, is a big jump. But that's actually where I've been serving these past three years. In this picture, I think you actually can only see my face in it. I worked with uh, several families, and on the ends of this photo are actually two students that uh, a lot of the work that I did was with university students. And so if we have any university students here or some that are getting close, the IMB has some amazing programs. One is called Hands-On, which is a, semest a semester program that some colleges will offer um, credit if you go through this program and you do this time serving overseas. And so the students in this picture did the hands-on program and served with us for a semester doing English ministry because so many people all over the world, it's just a huge ministry opportunity. They want to learn English. And so it opens up doors um, immediately for being able to share Bible stories, which is a lot of what they did there with us. We can go ahead and jump to the, the next slide. This one might be a little hard to, to read, so I'll try to, um, let me see if I have that here. So the top number there says, um, it's, it's just a reminder to all of us that the global need for missions is more urgent than ever before. We take into light um, COVID and how it's affected the world. Sometimes we, we get caught up in like how it's affecting us just personally or with our families or in our community. But um, hopefully, hopefully most, most of you are seeing like 
It's a worldwide impact. It's impacted so much of, of our daily lives and different areas that continue to be on lockdown. I was just talking to somebody, uh, a missionary in Mexico yesterday, and she said, they're going back under lockdown, you know, after having been in lockdown previously. That need, the, it just points to when we go through those physical difficulties and struggles that sometimes that spiritual need can rise to the surface, and that's a good thing. Like we, people start to ask questions where maybe they never would before. This jumps to um, the number that you can kind of see there is 7,000, a little over 7,000 unreached people groups. Which goes back to what I was saying. When we talk about unreached people groups, those are people groups that are less than 2% evangelized. In, in the IMB's mind and thinking is, um, not just the IMB, but many other mission organizations, they look at that statistic and say, if they're less than 2% reached, then they're going to have a, a hard time planting enough churches and having enough theological education and, and trained pastors to be able to continue moving forward with that. And so those are areas of focus for the IMB and other mission organizations where they want to put mis missionaries, they want to put um, pastors and teachers and put focus on those areas so that they can get the, those numbers above 2% evangelized to where they can start to um, take more ownership over, over that work. So you see 7,000 unreached people groups that um, are still out there, that still are less than 2% reached. And so, for example, in East Asian peoples, two, there's 263 un, unengaged people groups, which that just means that at this time, there's not, um, there's not like a missionary there, there's not a, a Christian witness that's there, there's not somebody engaging that area. And so when you look at 263 unengaged people groups in East Asia, compared to when you go to the Americas, you have 705 unengaged people groups, which is kind of interesting. And something that might explain that is that in areas like East Asia, which you can throw China, wink, is one of those areas that's in East Asia. A lot of those people groups are very, very large. They could be, a, one, one people group could be hundreds of thousands to millions of people in just one single people group. And they have 263 unengaged people groups. Whereas the Americas has, even though 705 seems like a lot more, in, in South America and Central America, it's more common to have what they call micro people groups. And those are groups that would be, um, some, uh, many are on the, in the Amazon jungle where you might have a people group that's only 300 people. And what's happening now is like some of the groups that, that we used to work with are groups that are literally being wiped out with things like tuberculosis and dengue and HIV AIDS. And so it could literally just be a few years where there's not going to be anybody in that 300 size people group. And so the need, the need is so urgent um, and the time is short. So um, that just gives you an idea of um, different groups of people and how many there are. I'll just throw out one more. Southeast Asian peoples, 1,191 unengaged people groups. So the need is great for, for missionaries, for pastors, teachers, for um, people with various business backgrounds, uh, nursing, whatever, for people to come in and share the gospel and share the true truth and not, uh, not a false gospel, because that's also a big issue that we encounter. 
we can jump to the next slide. Great. Okay, so this talks about uh, global impact, and these are actually statistics from last year. So you can imagine that 2020 has been very interesting, and our work has looked a little bit different, but this has um, statistics from last year. The first one is, oh, 827 people groups. So in 2019, 827 new people groups were, re, were um, touched somehow by a gospel witness or were newly engaged by IMV missionaries. So when we think back to how many, how many people groups were unengaged in, in the Americas, we had 705. And so 827, now that's globally, were newly engaged. But that's just in one year. So that's exciting. That's what we want to see is that forward, forward progress. Um, the second statistic is number of people who heard a gospel witness. So that's not people that accepted Christ, but it's people who at least heard a full gospel witness. And so that's over 500,000 500, people. The third statistic, 46,929 people were baptized. Again, that's just last year, and that's globally. So you may look at that and say, well, that's really doesn't seem like a lot of people. But I will say, especially speaking for South America, baptism is a huge step for people. Um, and you can imagine, even coming from a Catholic background in South Louisiana, baptism is a huge step for people. And so it's a, it's a statement to everybody around them, to their families who could reject them and disown them. I am choosing to follow Christ. And so oftentimes you see that number is a lot less than the actual people that accepted Christ, and that's just people counting the cost, honestly, and saying, am I really willing to, to go through with this? 12,000 is um, new churches that were started. And so that could be churches, likely they're not churches like as, as large, I mean, to me, this is a large church. Um, they're not churches as large as First Baptist Winsboro, but they could be uh, small house churches that were started. And so it could just be small groups of people, but that's still exciting, right? 12,000 new churches started. 33,068 people um, received some sort of theological training, which is a, um, a renewed focus for the IMB. They've always done some sort of theological training, but sometimes you go through um, like pendulum swings between what the focus is. And so there's been a renewed focus on theological training. And so preparing pastors and teachers and, and missionaries. And so the Americas is one area that we're seeing many people be mobilized from South America, from Central America to go all over the world. For example, I have two friends just recently one girl who is serving in South Asia and another friend who's, because of COVID, she couldn't make her trip. She's going to be serving in Thailand, but two, uh, two Peruvians who are serving overseas because they have a call to missions. And so, um, so those are exciting things that we're seeing. So it's wonderful. The, I'm going to skip that last one for now. Uh, can we jump to the next slide? This one, actually, it might be hard to see those numbers, and that's okay because I want to give you some light kind of specific numbers for our area. This talks about just some different examples of um, how Lottie Moon funds are used. So like Brother Craig said, when you came and gave your money, you might say, 
like you might be really excited about it, and I'm so grateful, but you might also say, I wish I knew how these funds were being being used. And so um, one thing that the IMBs really tried to do is to break it down and just give some practical ways that, that your funds that you're so sacrificially giving are being used. So for example, there's a lot that happens in preparation for our missionaries that go out, so that could include um, language and culture studies, study, understanding worldview, um, understanding how to share the gospel in a way that makes sense to another culture. There's so many things. So these are just some examples. $700 is used to help a, a mission, new missionary go through a three-month intensive training. A lot of that is done in, in Richmond, Virginia. $2,000, that's a lot. It goes toward vaccinations to prepare for the field. So maybe COVID will be one of those. Uh, $2,300, that is to help train and launch a new missionary. So all the logistical things that go and come into play with that. Language education. Again, I, I personally spent four months in Guatemala to study language, and that's very important because I need to be able to, um, to understand and, and to be able to share the gospel in a way that makes sense to the other person. So $50 goes to help with language learning supplies. $150 goes to one month of in-country language study. $600 goes to two-week intensive language sprint. And so there's many different um, examples that are given. That just has to do with preparation for missionaries going out. And I do have the, I actually brought a bunch of these. And so if you want to pick one up after the service, I'll have those um, maybe just here at the front that I can give to you. And so it gives a lot, a lot of other examples. A couple examples I wanted to give. Ooh. Okay, so here you can see Connect Peru was the name is the name of my team that I've most recently served with that was working out of Lima. But to answer the question, Week. well, Leah, what do you do? Here's what we do. So we work with um, U.S. churches and teams that are come that want to serve in Peru, like people that are coming on a, on a short-term mission trip or even several months. We help to connect them with. Peru churches, because there's a wide, beautiful history of Baptist work in Peru, and so there are many churches that are ready and willing to, they want to um, reach their, their own unreached people, and so we help to facilitate that relationship to reach the most unreached people in Peru. And so, so our work specifically is in Peru. So we have teams that are working all throughout southern tip of Peru to the northern jungle of Peru. This example are two girls, Lucy and Brittany, who came and served with us for six weeks in the summer. Their summertime is our winter time. They came and served with us to come alongside a family, has been missionaries in their area for about seven years. Now, they're not IMB missionaries. They're actually Peruvian. They're Quechua. So they're Quechua speakers and have Quechua culture, but they're working outside of their own culture, even in their own country. And they work with the Central Aymara people. I think if you go to the next slide, I think. So this is... Um, that is snow, and this is one of the areas of, um, this is actually near where the Central Aymara live. Poor thing, he didn't have a good coat on that day. But this is Jeremy, and he's actually the son of Caleb and Deborah, who are the Peruvian missionaries that serve among the Central Aymara. So what Lucy and Brittany did, instead of them 
maybe they didn't personally see all these people coming to Christ, but what they did was they connected with Caleb and Deborah, who have been working there for seven years, who do understand the culture. They still don't speak the language like they would like to, but they understand the Aymara culture. And so what they bring is encouragement and coming alongside and a breath of fresh air and prayer and um, just helping them, just coming alongside and helping them in the work that they're doing and that they're going to continue to do when Lucy and Brittany go home. So to answer the question, how, how are those funds being used? For example, uh, we purchased mattresses and beds for Lucy and Brittany, as well as other teams, to be able to stay in a home that was rented to where they could come alongside and encourage Caleb and Deborah. So it's such a, a beautiful time and opportunity to be here with you this morning. And again, I just appreciate Brother Craig. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the broadcast of Words of Encouragement today. I hope that your Christmas will be a wonderful Christmas. Even though you may not be able to visit with loved ones and friends, um, focus on God. Focus on His love. Remember that He cares for you. He has missionaries around the world helping people to know who He is. And I'm here telling you today that you matter to Him. He knows your name, and He will make a way for you. He will help you as we walk through these days of this virus and everything else. He is the constant. He is our rock, uh, and we must depend on Him, lean on Him, uh, and draw comfort from Him. So I'm praying for you that you will have a good Christmas, no matter what's going on in your life. We pray for those who've lost loved ones this past year. It has been a difficult year, but God is faithful. God is present and He is faithful. We hope that you will enjoy uh, your Christmas time. And before we leave, I'm going to leave a uh, song with you. He's got the whole world in His hands, and I hope that it will bring some encouragement to you today. Cinema